Carmazone. How are you doing? Great. How are you, Matt? Excellent. Excellent. I'm very happy to be sitting here. You're the endorsed candidate for the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party for the Court of Common Pleas Judge. Sir, really quick, introduce yourself to everybody. Sure. Um, my name's Carl Mazone. Again, I want to thank you for having me here. I've, I've listened to just about all of the episodes of Cuyahoga today. We're honored. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, so my name's Carl Mazone. I've been with the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office for the last 13 years. Uh, I am running for uh, Common Police Court, and it's a specific seat. It's the seat currently occupied by uh, Judge Daniel Gall. Uh, he's suspended right now, but notwithstanding his suspension, his term expires uh, next year. He cannot run again. He's aged out. Uh, so this is an open seat, and I've been fortunate enough to be endorsed by the uh, Democratic Party, and that I'm excited to get forward and keep moving forward with the campaign. Awesome. So. Tell us about your background. What have you done? School, you know, what you're doing right now. Uh, give us up to speed of what brings you to running for judge. Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in North Olmstead, and I, uh, I went to St. Edward High School. It was, a, it was a whole family thing. My dad went there, my uncles, my cousins, my brother. So um, I graduated from there in 2001. I attended University of Dayton, where I graduated in 2005. And then I took a, a couple of years off before I went back to law school. Uh, so I worked in higher education for a couple of years, and then uh, I attended law school at Case Western Reserve. I graduated in 2010 and uh, passed the bar exam. I worked for a civil and defense attorney uh, for about nine months while I was waiting for uh, a spot to open up in the prosecutor's office. So I started there in June 2011. I worked my way up from child support enforcement. I spent there about 15 months. I then uh, was in juvenile court for about a year, a little more. And then I rotated in 2013 down to what we call general felony, which is what we all typically think of in the Justice Center. And right before the pandemic, I was promoted to our major trial unit where I was handling primarily uh, sexual assaults and some child victim stuff. And a couple of years ago, I was promoted then to the homicide unit. And that's the overwhelming majority of my cases are, are murders. I gotta ask you about like when you said I worked my way up. Is there what? What do you mean work your way up in the level of working in the prosecutor's office? Sure, and you know this is the prosecutor O'Malley is the third prosecutor I've worked for. So the way kind of the office has been structured is a little different now than it was when I was hired. But when I was hired, generally everybody either started in child support enforcement or at children and family services, and there was a certain number of those individuals who were hired. Uh, as kind of permanent, that was the work they wanted to do. And others, we were in the in the criminal rotation. Mm -hmm. So you pretty much went in and, and you know kind of learned how to manage a docket, learned how to handle a case in a pretrial. And then sometimes it was in the order in which you were hired. Sometimes uh, you know people were moved up ahead of others. It just kind of depended. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you rotated over to juvenile court. Uh, you spent your time at juvenile court learning how to charge cases. Then you were assigned to a magistrate for a little while doing lower like misdemeanor type stuff and then to a judge's courtroom where you were handling more of the felony stuff and then when they deemed you were ready you were rotated downtown is that just because of the severity of the crime or the amount of cases that you would get for what for that a movement it's like you said like we're going to learn how to do the crimes or prosecute the crimes here or take you know that yeah, a little bit of both um part of it is again learning how to manage a docket is really paramount okay um you know, the only time people, at least in my experience, that have been hired straight into like the adult felony unit are usually people coming with previous experience in other places uh, doing pros you know, prosecuting cases. Um, 
also at juvenile court, you learn how to use our case management system, um, kind of, uh, you know, what the elements of the cases are. The, you know, juvenile court is extremely important, but the rules are different. Mm -hmm. So the stakes maybe aren't as great. And when I say that, I don't want to sound like uh, those cases aren't important. But right. Like, for example, there's no speedy trial at juvenile court. Right. So if there's an issue with a case, it could be dismissed and refiled, uh, you know, with adults. Um, you know, there's a speedy trial. If a case has to be dismissed, all the time the state used counts against it. If it has to be reindicted, it's a little different. But you learn basically the the ins and outs of how to prepare a case for trial, how to talk to a victim, uh, how to question witnesses when you're doing those trials and stuff like that. So it's kind of um, if you would think like almost like AAA, and before you get called up to you know, gotcha. the big leagues. So, gotcha. it's, but it's it's important work, and we have some permanent folks down at juvenile court that are doing that work, but it's really kind of where you learn uh, how to try a case, how to question a witness, uh, how to handle evidence and things like that. You mentioned that you did uh, sexual assault cases and uh, it just seems like really heinous heinous cases. I, I know that there, I'm asking you a lot of questions that aren't on our list today, but the mental, I guess, strength that you need to go through day to day when it come, when you see these kind of heinous crimes day after day, what, what does that do to you? How do you, how do you, kind of like cope with with that um it, it's you gotta you kind of have to have you, you have to have kind of an iron stomach for mm. it. um you see really nobody sees me on their best day you know and i've right. said this here in you know in campaigning one of the things i loved was going out to different community meetings and talking about what we're doing because it's an idea it's it's a way to humanize a prosecutor because again the most of the people I've seen are either the victims of a crime accused of a crime or a witness to a crime and you just really have to be good at compartmentalizing um, I do my best not to work at home mm -hmm. um, I, I keep some odd hours I'm usually in a lot of weekends today's Martin Luther King Day that we're recording this and I was in the office before I came here because mm -hmm. I don't want to work at home like right. I want to be at right. home at home and it's a way to kind of turn it off but you know, you you have to kind of you still have to have compassion for people and compassion for victims, and to a degree, uh, some compassion for uh, a witnesses issue that you know a lot of you know people don't want to get involved in other people's business. And if you've witnessed a crime, a lot of witnesses don't want to get involved even right. though they're there. So right. you just have to be able to compartmentalize. And you know, there's a few cases that'll always stick with me, uh, both good and bad, but. You know, again, I think you just, it's in the blood. There's just a way, you know, you, you can handle it or or after a while, you know, people get burned out. Right. And, I, bet and do. I don't blame them. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you want to work as a judge? Okay. So this is a really unique year. Mm -hmm. uh, this year, there are uh, seven seats that are up for grabs for Democrats. And that's unique just because of the sheer amount? The sheer amount. Okay. Yeah. We have 34 judges in common police court. Uh, every two years, 11 of them, or I think one year there's 12, are up for re-election. And again, the law in the state of Ohio is that once a judge turns 70, they cannot be sworn in for a new term. So this year, we have five judges who are uh, aging out. Uh, we had one judge two years ago who was reelected to another another seat, and a Republican was appointed. And then we had one judge, unfortunately, uh, the Honorable Mike Russo passed away. And so there's a there's a Republican who is uh, who was just appointed a couple of weeks ago. So there's seven seats, mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I've always, I've always liked the maxim, you know, be the change you want to see. Mm-hmm. And being in the Justice Center day in and day out, doing the work that we do, you know, we're in court every day. We see great judges. We see good judges. We see average judges. We've seen a couple that maybe aren't so great for whatever reason. And this is an opportunity to take my experience and uh, my ideas and bring a fresh perspective to the court. And again, just with the sheer number of cases, this is this is the time and this is the opportunity for me. I have two questions that kind of go into each other. Uh, the first one is, what does a common pleas court judge do? And I hear when I talk to people a lot about running an efficient court. What does that mean? So two questions. One, what is the job that you're applying for here? And the other one is, when you get this job, you're the endorsed candidate, so hopefully you get it. What does it mean to run an efficient court? Sure. I'll, I'll take the first one. First. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, the, so the common pleas court, um, this is the general division. So this is what you think of when you think of the trial court. Um, so we have uh, the, the common pleas court is made up of the domestic relations, probate, juvenile court, and, and general division. Um, the general division handles uh, all criminal matters that are felonies, all civil cases over a, uh, a certain dollar threshold. And it's the it's the general trial court. So when you think of a jury trial, whether it's a criminal trial or a civil trial, that's what this judge does. They preside over those cases. Um, they uh, accept plea you know plea bargains for defendants in criminal cases. They preside over criminal trials. Uh, they pre- preside over civil cases. Um, and then there's some you know other types of matters that they handle, foreclosures and stuff like that. Gotcha. So running an efficient court is important because court court costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Bringing a civil case is incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, prosecuting or, or a criminal case in general is very expensive as well. You know, if there's jurors, jurors have to be paid every day. There's court costs associated with every court appearance. So the longer a case takes, the more expensive it is for people, number one. Also, um, you know, you have people who are in certain cases sitting in jail. It's important to make sure that those cases are moving uh, fairly efficiently so that we're, people aren't spending an unnecessary amount of time in the county jail. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, if they're out on bond, it's still a burden to have to come to court. We have to find childcare. You have right. to find maybe take off work. Uh, many people, you know, you'll have to either pay for parking or pay to take public transportation or a ride sharing service. So the less time people are spending per case while still making sure the case is being handled uh you know thoroughly and um uh efficiently is is really important Mm -hmm. so efficient doesn't necessarily mean fast it means utilizing the time wisely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. explain an inefficient court then i mean i know that's a weird question to ask and i we could just take 30 seconds on it because you just explained an efficient court but when you see an inefficient court run what are the things that you see and this is more for educational purposes sure. when somebody says an inefficient court that is one wasting money maybe wasting time what are some things that that are the results of an inefficient court um the, the results of an inefficient court are an abnormally high number of cases on your docket just mm-hmm. because like for example and, and and look it ebbs and flows right um you know just because you have the, you know, the, one of the five highest dockets on January the fifteenth doesn't necessarily mean in June the same judge is going to have it. But you know, an inefficient court is um, you know judges who don't show up you know five days a week or aren't putting in full days, or uh, you know I, there's a judge who's not on the bench anymore. But you know you would you would 
you would get maybe two good hours of court time in an eight-hour day when you were in trial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's not very efficient. Um, mm -hmm. I had a docket with, or I had a case on a docket with a judge who is deceased and their replacement is no longer on the bench. We we beat them the last time around. Uh, I tried that case in March of this year, and the homicide occurred in either October or November of 2017. Oh. Like that's an inefficient docket. <laughs> wow. So. It's it's one of those I don't know it's like Potter Stewart talking about pornography. You can't define it, but you know it when you see it. Mm -hmm. It's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. When cases just don't move, it's it's just hard to get anything done. All right, so Carl, you are the endorsed candidate for the Democratic Party. Um, you are asking people for your vote for this job, so you must have a plan. How are you going to run an efficient court, and what are things you want to see change within the courtrooms, and how would you implement that into your court? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I'm going to be present. I, I'm not one to, um, you know, I'm a morning person. I'm, I'm a first thing in the morning kind of guy. Same. I, I want to make yep. sure that uh, attorneys who have cases assigned to my courtroom will, uh, you know, know that once they're in there, I'm going to be there. We're going to get moving. But there's really two things I want to talk about that have been kind of central to my, my campaign and my platform. And the first is uh, a sentencing database of some sort. So Justice Donnelly uh, has been championing for the six years that he's been on the Ohio Supreme Court for a statewide sentencing database um, where people enter their sentences into a database. Uh, it's uh, kind of comes out like a dashboard that's uh, viewable to the public. Now, there's been some pushback on that for a variety of reasons, and it's not a perfect solution to anything. So like, number one, I know many people are, are concerned that uh, when election time comes around, uh, a sitting judge somewhere can have an opponent that says either this person's too hard on crime, this person's too soft on crime, and it becomes a something like that. I've talked to a number of defense attorneys throughout the last several years when this issue's come up. One of their concerns is that this kind of by default could become sort of a, a, a sentencing guidelines like they have in federal court without mm -hmm. actually having sentencing guidelines. And right. that's From not like public opinion. Like Brady. you see it like, yeah, I got you. Yeah. So what I want to do is make sure that I'm keeping my own, my own statistics and my own data so that I am one first and foremost consistent with myself mm -hmm. so that when people get a case assigned to my courtroom out of the arraignment room, they know generally what they can expect coming from me. Mm -hmm. Number one, number two, I want to make sure I'm consistent with my 33 colleagues mm -hmm. so that I'm not somewhere way off the deep end. Uh, right. To, you're, you're not the tough judge or the easy you're not judge. The right. Exactly. So gotcha. one of the things I, I I've, I've been saying about that is, you know, each, time a judge sentences someone they have some discretion within these rules mm -hmm. but not every case is equal right. not every you know here i'll use felonious assault for example you know a guy who uh, and i had a case like this about eight or nine years ago where he was angry it was a road rage incident and he drove his car at a woman who jumped out of the way mm -hmm. and we convicted him of felonious assault now nobody was injured she didn't want to see prison but that felonious assault is not the same as two guys who get in a bar fight and one punches the other and he falls back and cracks his head on the jukebox that's serious physical harm mm -hmm. that's felonious assault mm -hmm. that's not the same as somebody driving by someone else's house and loading it up with bullets mm -hmm. that's also a felonious assault so each of these three cases have the same level but they're all different right and so it's up to the judge to be able to review 
those facts. Right. Then the individual, you know, does this person have prior criminal history? If they do, were they on probation? If they were on probation, were they uh, successful? How many violations, if any? Did they disappear while they were there? Have they been to prison? If they have, how long ago was it? Because just because someone's been to prison doesn't mean they're going back anytime they pick up another case. There's just a right. lot of discretion. Right. And I want to make sure that I'm keeping all that data for myself so that if somebody who's fairly similarly situated, I have something to go on. And I just think it creates more trust in the court and more transparency for the public. The other thing is just a respect for people's time. Uh, I mentioned a little bit ago about people having to come to court repeatedly. Uh, I don't like the courtrooms that make me have a pretrial every two weeks and then tell the defense attorney that their client has to be there. Mm -hmm. There's no need for it. Uh, I plan to give a trial date out at the first or second pretrial. The attorneys can come back for as many pretrials as they need. They could check in with me every couple of weeks if they want, but their client doesn't need there if they need to be there if they're out on bond unless they have to report to probation for something or something like that. If they need me for a hearing, we'll set it up. Come on in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On the civil side of that too, I plan to use um, what the uh, Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Association did endorse a, a uh, um, kind of like a uniform case management order that starts with a certain trial date and has a date for. Uh, dispositive motions to be filed a couple of weeks later is a response or 30 days later is a response. And then the court has a certain date to rule on those. Mm -hmm. And that goes to efficiency as well, because if the court hasn't ruled on motions for civil cases, those attorneys don't know going into trial what they can and can't get into. And that's a waste of money. Right. Thank, thank you for that, by the way. Um, you know, I always wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, when we talked about felonious assault uh, and the different ways of looking at it and the different crimes that could be still called felonious assault is why I should have got my law degree. But um, that brings me straight to your philosophy on sentencing. There's going to be a lot of cases that come in front of you. One thing that's being talked about a lot in this election cycle is bindovers. Therefore, minors that have allegedly or could have done heinous crimes will be in front of your court and you're going to have to figure out how to sentence them as well as repeat offenders and first-time offenders what is your philosophy on sentencing sure and i'm going to start with with minors because it's a complicated answer but it's the of these three groups that you just talked about the ones i'll probably deal with the least Mm. um you know the once the case if a minor is in front of me the case has already been bound over Um, The law says that they are subject to adult sentencing with some exceptions, and we don't need to get in the weeds. That's a conversation for Judge Floyd or a conversation for the two prosecutor candidates. But um, a minor who is in front of me, first of all, if they're charged with a homicide, if they're going to plead to a a murder or an aggravated murder, those sentences are statutory. Mm -hmm. Um, Murder is all murders are 15 to life. Aggravated murder is either uh, 20 to life, 25 to life, 30 to life, or life without parole. Mm. So when there is some variation, age is certainly something that I will take into consideration. And that's one of the things that I will, I, I do plan to do if they're charged with, if it's aggravated robberies or something that doesn't have a required sentence. Their age is one of those things under the purposes and principles of felony sentencing, which are outlined in the revised code that I will consider. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're going to get an easy sentence compared to somebody who's similarly situated, but it's one factor to consider. Right. Uh, with regard to repeat offenders, I touched on this a little bit before. You know, I want to see the whole person. Again, you may have had five cases, but those five cases may have been 10 years ago. Right. And, you know, people deserve a chance. And again, it's it's you can't you can't just look at everybody on an equal playing field. Each person is individual. If they're a repeat offender, let's get to the root cause. You know, are you robbing houses because you have a drug addiction? 
If that's the case, then we need to make sure that whatever whatever portion of your sentence, if you're going to be going down the road to prison, has some sort of programming down there that can that can help you get that that help. Um, and and first time offenders, you know, the court has a number of programs. Diversion for non drug, non violent offenses. There's uh, intervention in lieu of conviction. There's drug court, mental health docket for people who. The mental health court isn't a lesser sentence, but it gets you in touch with the medications and counseling and services you may need to get you on the right track. I want to, I, I wholeheartedly embrace all of those. Mm-hmm. So if an individual's, uh, um, you know, eligible for one of those courts on my docket, I will put them in those programs. I will transfer their case to mental health court. And one other thing I want to mention is, you know, when when it comes to probation, uh, I believe in giving people an opportunity. So for example, there is, when you put somebody on probation for something, they have up to five years that they can be on supervision. There are courts, a couple of them are retiring, but there are a couple of judges that will keep them on as a default probation for five years. I don't believe in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's certain times where it's warranted if you have a theft case or criminal non-payment of child support where you need time to make those payments. I think that's where it's more appropriate. But people should, we're supposed to be in the business of helping to rehabilitate people. That's one of the factors of, of felony sentencing. So I think 18 months, two years of probation is one thing. If they're doing well, then they're done in two years you got to free people from the yoke of supervision if they're not then you know the court has up to that five years to continue them on supervision or or impose a prison sentence and that's one of those things where i I don't think it's talked about enough is people should have an opportunity to rehabilitate so if somebody goes to prison you know i'm not a huge fan of judicial release when i have to respond to the motions but as a judge as a prosecutor but as a judge i think you absolutely should consider judicial release if somebody goes to prison and gets their ged and is taking college classes has done all the programming mm-hmm. has and more importantly stayed out of trouble while they're in the institution then they deserve at least a, a, an honest look at being released right. early because then right. they go right on to supervision right. and it's a step towards rehabilitation right carl i want to say thank you very much for uh, coming on the show and congratulations on your endorsement by the party thank you um Really quick, the primary is coming up March 19th. Early voting starts February... I think it's Wednesday the 21st, whatever the Wednesday is that week. Wednesday the 21st. I think you're right. I should have looked this up before I decided to put and my foot in my mouth. I don't have a calendar in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> where can people find you and where can people donate to your campaign? Sure. I am uh, at mazoneforjudge.com. That's M-A-Z-Z-O-N-E for judge f-o-r-j-u-d-g-e dot uh, com <laughs> i can you. be found on facebook uh instagram and uh if you want to make a contribution uh through paypal um the link is on my website we're going to need volunteers to work all those polling places um there's a get involved link there and you know visit the party's website and figure out how you can go out and hand that sample ballot out because we need all of our endorsed candidates to win on on march the 19th good luck carl thank you matt for having me